Hello, and welcome to Revolution 22's teaching podcast. We are a church from the downtown area in Boise, Idaho. Thank you for joining us today and hearing this week's sermon. We pray that God's word will be received and will bear fruit in your life. Amen. You may be seated. It's good to see everyone. I uh, took my daughter to the airport at 440 this morning. And I was concerned that the uh, first service group was all there because it was a lot of people from Boise at the airport at 440 this morning. So we were thankful to have her here. And I hope for you all that you had a good Thanksgiving and that you had a chance to think about thankfulness. This wasn't my family's uh, heritage or things that we did, but I know many of you stop and actually pause and consider, are you thankful for what God is doing in your life? So I, I pray that you do that. Even if you haven't done it, do it today. Do it in the, in the next few days just to be thankful. I've been so thankful for you all, thankful for just your encouragement of me in my life, especially as we've just been starting out here <clears throat> in this role. Been very blessed by several GCs who just really encouraged us. Uh, and so just I pray you're feeling that same thing in your communities as well and that we can be that for you. Partly because thankfulness is so much of what we've been talking about recently. You know, in the, in the last series that we're kind of ending today, these last three weeks, uh, we've been talking about this idea of, of what should be changing in our lives because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, what, what should be welling up differently. And what we've been talking about is what should change is how we worship, how we gather, and how we witness. And each one of those has roots in thankfulness. Uh, our thankfulness uh, in God for what he has done for us in Jesus Christ. You know, we started the first week talking about worship. And we talked about how worship is our response and attention affections and actions that rightly know treasure and joy and are satisfied in God through Christ Jesus. You know, worship is our turning of our heart, of all of our soul, our mind, and all things that we do, that our thoughts, our affections, our actions, and our attention is fully devoted to God. That, that people, when they see us, realize He is our one and true and only joy and our only love. And that comes from deep thankfulness to God for what he's done for us in Jesus Christ. Now, last week we talked about gathering. We talked about how in gathering, God gathers us one unto his glory, two for our mutual good, or three before the world's gaze. Or another way of saying the same thing is that God gathers us for exaltation, edification, and evangelism. Gathering is similar to our thankfulness that we see expressed in worship that God has chosen to buy for himself, ransom for himself, a people. And not just one person, but a group of us all together to be the very sons and daughters of God. And we gather because we are those people. We are God's very body, his temple, his ambassadors. We want to have a world that rightly sees him as they look at us and as we look and encourage one another. And already, I hope one of the things you notice as we talked about those two different topics is that there's an interconnectedness going on here between these different arenas that should be growing in us as believers. You know, when we talked about worship, we made this statement. We said missions exists because worship doesn't. You know, witnessing what we're going to talk about this morning, especially those outside of the body of Christ, is driven because we want to see others worship God who aren't worshiping Him yet. And when we witness and encourage one another, it's that we might rouse one another to the worship of God for His glory, even with each other. Uh, we come, that comes from a, a thankfulness from the infinite worth that we are given as God's very sons and daughters. You know, similarly, you can hear in our summary statement from last week about gathering some of this interconnectedness. 
God gathers us for exaltation, edification, and evangelism. You know, our gathering as one group of people is one of the main ways that we, we can come together to worship with an entire body of Christ. It's part of the ways that we, we edify and encourage one another. Uh, this idea of witnessing that comes into that idea as well and, and, and evangelize, that a watching world might be witnessed to. In fact, that interconnectedness starts to make sense when we think about a phrase that we said at the very beginning when we talked about worship, that worship is God's joy for our joy. You know, that we talked about how worship is God drawing us into the beauty of the dance of the Trinity, that he wants us to treasure him just like he treasures himself within the personhood of the Trinity. And yet gathering also pulls us into God's joy. This idea of being in God's joy, becoming our joy is embedded in this whole process. Just as God is three in one, so too he wants us to be a body of many parts a temple of many stones, an entire people of priests and ambassadors to his glory that he might be represented in our diversity that creates unity. And similarly, just as the Holy Spirit wants to constantly push us to know know more about the beauty of the glory of the Father and the humility and joy of Jesus Christ and what he's done, just like Jesus points us to the Father, so too in witnessing we are called to draw one another to the joys that God, that we have in God as we share what we see and know about him. It's in this way that, that worshiping causes us to value gathering and witnessing more. And gathering can actually empower and grow our, our worship and give us strength and, and encouragement and edification for witnessing. And similarly this morning as we talk about witnessing, I hope you see how as we witness to one another, it should bring about worship as well as a desire to continue to be with one another. They're mutually encouraging aspects of our growth in Christ. So what then do we mean by witnessing? You know, one of our partners, Heidi Boyd, told me recently that she was at a missions conference and someone had told her that 52% of Christians cannot even talk about or explain what the Great Commission is. And at first I thought, not in our church. And then I thought, not in our church? And so what I said to Heidi is, well, not after this Sunday, right? Not after this Sunday. I want to make sure you all know what the Great Commission is. And, and maybe that's a new thought to you, that God has given you a role, a commission, something that you are called to do. And we can find that in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Many, many, many books have been written just about these two verses. In fact, entire books have been written just about that first word, go. Uh, So many people want to talk about this idea of how go is not just go, but going. In other words, as you are going, so that all the time with all the people that you meet in all the different ways, you should be sharing with them your love for God, making disciples of them. And many have noticed how this is one of the great Trinitarian verses of all of Scripture, where we see the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit all working together that God's people might be ransomed and brought in to relationship with Him. Others have, have noticed the importance of baptism as our public profession of faith here. And still others note how heavy this passage is on teaching, one of our most basic ways to worship God and to witness to others through His Word. You know, one of the greatest changes in, in, in missions culture happened all because of just this verse in 1974. You know, at the Lausanne conference, Ralph Winters and uh, Donald McGavern introduced a term called hidden peoples. Up to this point, most of missions in, in the world was centered around trying to get missionaries 
a, at least a couple missionaries in every country so that we could say that Matthew 24 was completed, all nations have been reached, and then by God's grace, maybe Jesus will come back and all things would be completed. We could be with him in the new heavens and the new earth. Especially Ralph Winters wanted to argue that there were more than 17,000 hidden people groups. And people groups who weren't just this homogenous group that if you just went to Spain, you would engage with one type of person. In fact, all these different people groups that are hidden because of linguistics, culture, accessibility that needed to be engaged very specially. Ralph Winters actually said this. He said, by the phrase, all the nations, Jesus was not referring to all countries or nation states. The wording he chose, the Greek word ethne, instead points to ethnicities, the languages and the extended families which constitute the people of the earth. That idea exploded the missions movement of the last 50 years where people have been engaging to these unreached people groups as we usually talk about them now for the sake of making sure they've all heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. But that still begs the question, what is our job and our role in this great commission and how do we think about this idea of witnessing? I've chosen this word witness for this section because it's, it's a less familiar word for most of us, and it's a little bit more of an inclusive word than some of the other words we use. I mean, usually when we use the phrase discipleship, most of us so quickly go to this thought of just gathering with other believers. How, how I gather with them, small groups, maybe a little bit larger, over the word of God, praying for one another that we might grow and be more conformed like Jesus Christ. Others of us, when I would say the phrase evangelism, we would think only about standing on a street corner trying to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, which probably panics most people. Or this idea of trying to bring the, this, the Romans road or some other salvation path to people that they might proclaim their faith in Jesus Christ. You know, amazingly enough, with all of our problems, God has called us to have a role in what his story is, to take our place in it. The beautiful gospel knowledge that is at the center of everything we've been talking about, this gospel knowledge that should birth worship, that should birth gathering, that should birth witnessing, <coughs> needs to be shared with everyone. And God has a role for us in doing that. The goal of moving people to know Jesus Christ, God has designed us to take part in that very process. My guess is that for all of us, except for our most prideful moment, Know that we are not the center of the universe. Parents are usually good to remind us of that. Culture is good to bring us to humility that not everything revolves around us. And that is a good and true thing to remember. Jesus Christ is the superstar of the entire show. Right? He is the one to whom all knees will bow. Everyone will proclaim his lordship one day in joy or in fear. He is our God and Lord for him and to him and through him were all things made. Yet you, each of you, are exactly the person that God had to play your role in your life. You are the one he made to, walk, to witness him to a watching world in wisdom from the stage that he gave you. You have a role, and it's a cosmically important role, to witness the wonders of God in your life to those around you. This is how Paul said it. Paul said, Him, Jesus, we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all of His energy that He powerfully works within me. And we, we proclaim, we share verbally with one another who God is, what He's done for us in our lives, and what we love about Him. And we work. 
We struggle. It takes effort and action and energy from us in this process of engaging one another that we might see and know and love Jesus. So we would say this, that witnessing is making disciples of Jesus Christ through gospel-centered going, baptizing, and teaching. And that going will take effort. At the end of this summer, we were cleaning up the parking lot, and there was this weed that Cameron noticed. It's about three feet high. It was actually a little tree that was starting to sprout out, right? Who knows? I, I don't know if it was a squirrel or how the seed got into that little crack, but to actually get it out of there, it wasn't just pulled out. It was cut down, this little trunk that was starting to grow. And I think so often we think that that's how witnessing or discipleship or evangelism will happen. We're not sure how it happens. We just hope that it kind of springs up over there and starts going. We just assume that is what will happen. But that is not what God is doing. Discipleship is a process and an effort for new believers and old believers, and we have a role to play in it. People need to see and hear what God is like through his people. Unlike those weeds, God has a desire to cultivate within his people, both those who already treasure what they love about Jesus and those who have yet to have heard about Jesus, that faith in a purposeful fashion. Uh, Two Christian authors, Jonathan Dotson and Matt Chandler, wrote in a book called Gospel-Centered Discipleship. They noted that, that the word disciple is used more than even the word Christian in all of Scripture. In fact, they would say that discipleship is an identity. Everything else is just a role. That's who you and I are. We are disciples of Jesus Christ. We are those who put our identity in Jesus. And now it is our job to one, worship him, two, to baptize others into our community that we gather with to represent him, and three, as we're going to talk about today, to witness him to others. This is how Dotson says it in their book. He says, if making disciples happens through gospel-centered going, baptizing, and teaching, the semantic distinction between evangelism and discipleship is superfluous. Disciples are made, whether for the first or the 50th time, through the gospel. That's what I mean by witness, and I'm unashamedly stealing it from these guys. It's a wonderful idea. To witness is the gospel-centered going, baptizing, and teaching of Jesus Christ with the goal of making or encouraging disciples. That is our great commission that Jesus has called us to in Matthew 28. And as Dotson so wonderfully says here, this process of gospel going, baptizing, and teaching, whether we call it gospeling or discipling or evangelizing or witnessing, doesn't matter. It's all the process of how we make disciples through the gospel of Jesus Christ, whether here in the church, in Meridian, or in Malawi. It's all the same. Disciples are made, whether for the first or for the 50th time, through the gospel. Disciples, we we all are grown, encouraged, strengthened, challenged by the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ through gospeling one another. We teach one another through God's word about his very nature and his love. We baptize as a church identifying those who are part of this community of Jesus Christ. Whether we call it Discipling, evangelizing, gospeling, or witnessing, it is all pointing back to the process of gospel-centered going, baptizing, and teaching. So we say that witnessing is making disciples of Jesus Christ through gospel-centered going, baptizing, and teaching. And so often when we talk about this idea, we tend to focus on the differences. Uh, The differences of what it would look like to do that for someone who's already a Christian, whether they're young or old, or the difference of of what we're going to do for someone who's not quite yet a Christian. And those are all very good things, and there are different strategies. Yet, 
I want to focus today on the similarities between those two, because I would argue that the similarities are one of the most important aspects. And to start with, all this idea of witnessing is built upon one reality that we might take for granted, that we are all changeable. Many of us don't like that idea of change. We don't like it when our favorite coffee drink is no longer made at our favorite store, when our favorite meal is no longer on the menu, when the jeans you've bought for four years that are so comfortable you can't find anymore in the store. In fact, we could probably argue that many different arguments between friends and couples are because one person assumed someone was going to act exactly the same that they did before, but they didn't this time. They changed. They aren't the same as they were previously. But in reality, change can be a huge blessing. Can you imagine how hard this world would be if you could never learn anything? If you could never grow and become different? Could you imagine what it would be like if adults continued to act like children their entire lives? Not just the ones you're thinking of right now, but all of us, you included. Change is necessary, and it's necessary part of our prayer of salvation. Look at what the psalmist says in Psalm 51. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Change me, the psalmist says. Change my heart. Renew my spirit. Bring me back joy that I don't have today. And that new heart is exactly what God promised his people he would give them. He says it like this in Ezekiel 36, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and to be careful to obey my rules. A new heart, a heart of stone made flesh. God doing all of that for us. Paul even encourages us to think this way about very practical things in Romans 12 too. He says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Times I find it somewhat funny when people get offended at the idea that God might violate their will, do what they did not want, because it is the exact hope of our salvation that rests on that very thing. That God would change me a sinner, you a sinner, to love something we don't love. Uh, to, to have him change our hearts to be soft to his very word. That our eyes would finally see and our ears would finally hear and know that he is God and good. And that he loves us through Jesus Christ. The entire process of witnessing uh, with the goal of making disciples or encouraging disciples assumes that this kind of change is possible. And not only possible for God, but that it matters who we are near and who we are next. I mean, on the wrong side, when we look at, at Scripture, Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 5, 6. He says, your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? And whether it's our sin that begins to infect all of our being or the sin that we choose to be around continuously that infects us like yeast working its way through a whole lump of bread, we, we can be encouraged in wrong directions or as Paul says here in 1 Corinthians 15, do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Meaning even where we were already doing well, we could be distracted and turned by the company that we keep. But on the other side, there's great joy. There's great joy when we see what Jesus says here in Luke 6, 40. He says, a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone when he is fully changed will be like his teacher. Our prayer is that we'd be like the teacher, the teacher Jesus Christ, 
uh, that, that change becomes a good thing in witnessing and engaging others that they might see through us Jesus. As Paul would say, to the extent that you see Jesus in me, follow me, right? That's what we want to encourage others to do. We pray that they would be changed to love him, know him, and follow him. So if that's what witnessing is, if witnessing is this idea of gospel going, baptizing, and teaching that we take part in, it has several ramifications for us. I mean, first and foremost, we must be others-oriented, now think about all the different examples throughout Scripture that, that, that beg us to come outside of ourselves, to think of those around us even when we might not want to. Deuteronomy 6.6 6 says this, And these are the words that I command you today, and these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall, ask, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And the imagery here, here is that we should so love who God is and what he's doing that we share with it all the time but with our children. It's in song and talk, everything that we do there. It should be before ourselves, like he says, like bound on our arms or as frontlets between our eyes, that it's constantly on our own mind, on our own way of walking it out. And even so much so that our witness, how much we love the Lord, should be on our doorpost or in the city gates, this idea that it should be in front of, presented to all people. That's how our witness should be. We want all to see it. And in Scripture, we see this idea of witnessing, putting our faith, our love, our understanding of God out there again and again. We see it in corporate ways. We see it in individual ways. We see people witnessing just to one another, discipling one another, as it were. We see Elijah with Elisha. We see Eli doing it with Samuel. We see the judges and the prophets witnessing again and again to a people who don't want to listen, who continue to spiral away from their loving God over time. And most importantly, we see it in Jesus. Here's what we see in Mark 10. It says, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever will be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave for all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. I mean, Jesus came. He gave up his life, his prerogative of his throne in heaven, that he might be with his people to call disciples, to walk with them daily, to show them in every interaction he had uh, the beauty of the glory of God, how, how God would call them to walk in each and every instant as they were together. And this focus nature, uh, this focus on, on others outside of ourselves cannot be escaped especially when we think about what we talked about last week as our corporate identity as a building, as a body. Others need to be able to see that, and especially when we think of being ambassadors, those who share with others the very beauty that we find in Jesus Christ. In fact, coupled to that means that we must be purposeful. We must be purposeful. I mean, think of all the ways that the truths that we just talked about play out in very purposeful ways. You know, this talk of witnessing requires us to initiate I mean, we must purposely pursue people both to edify them and that they might edify us and encourage us, that we might all grow more into the fullness of the knowledge and love of God. And we have to do this through teaching, and sometimes we have to do this through correction. Uh, we witness to one another as we guide one another towards our God and who He is and how He's revealed Himself, especially through His Word. And we do this not just with words, but with modeling, with our whole life, calling one another to walk alongside us, even in things like going to the grocery store, that people might pick up on the things you might not think to say, 
like how you treat a teller kindly or how you treat a, a service worker. You know, we do this all with a heart of mutual love and humility. Again, just like our Lord and Savior, modeling ourselves under His humility. And as always, we are purposefully guiding others to God in heaven, to the hopes of the promises that we all have in the future that God has, has given us in Jesus Christ, in His life, death, and resurrection. You, know, you and I, we can't be flippant about our role as God's witness. Here's what Jesus says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witness. Our witness is driven by the very power of the Holy Spirit of God, engaging others that he might be seen as preeminent in their lives. Now, there are many ways that we express our witness to God and others. And while we've clearly seen throughout these passages how this can be individual, how it calls us to engage and love God in everything that we do, much like we saw with worship and gathering, so much of our witness occurs when we are corporately together. It can be a corporate exercise with one another. In fact, we witness in our gathering together as the whole church. We see in John 13 that we talked about last week, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. I mean, we could really just stick our entire sermon from last week right there. This idea that as we gather as God's people, as his body, as his temple, as his very ambassadors, that that a watching world sees that and, and values in it the very diversity of our God that none of us can fully express alone and the unity that that diversity is meant to create amongst his people. And we see this in so many other ways when we gather. We can see it even as pastors to members, you know, the role of leaders in trying to equip uh, the body for the work of ministry. And so much of that work of ministry is exactly this, witnessing, trying to create disciples through teaching, through going, through baptizing, bringing people together. And we, as leaders, are, encouraged to, are, are tasked to encourage you with the work of ministry, to do the work of ministry, which is largely discipling, witnessing. We do it as we have a culture of discipling with one another. You know, as we discussed last week, we want to engage and encourage one another. So much of our gathering is to create a time where we can come together, where we can encourage each other with our gifts that we might see and know and love God in ways we wouldn't outside of one another, in the ways that he is working in us, that we all might see and love God more through one another and take our place in edifying one another, that we might care for each other well. And there are so many other ways, ways in which we don't even think about so often. I mean, let me give you a random one. Like we, we, we give you a place to tithe. <laughs> we have tithe box in the back. We have a giving link button on the website, all because we truly believe that it is for your good to not have a stranglehold on money in your life. Because as we all know, where our money is, there our heart also is, Right? So we want to find ways to let that go, to trust the Lord in that. That's why I can stand up here and ask you to give money to the church, not because I'm greedy and not because we're trying to get rich, because I believe it's for my good to tithe to the church and it's because it's for your good to tithe to the church. It asks you to let go of something. That's a discipleship thing. So many things that we do are discipleship. In fact, we disciple both in words and actions. That's why it's such a varied process. We can't almost always list all the ways in which it's occurring, which leads to this last point here, this fourth point. We witness in our words and our actions. As we saw in James not that long ago, James 2.15 says this, If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace and be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body. What good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. 
whether individually or corporately, we witness with both words and actions a faith that sees someone in real need that only shares the gospel of Jesus Christ and says, go be warm and be filled is no faith at all. But here's the trick. James can't be flipped on his head. Witnessing is not witnessing without proclaiming the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ. All the good works in the world cannot explain to someone who Jesus is and what he's done for them. You know, our actions are meant to be commensurate with our love, equal with our joy for God, but we can never replace our, but actions can never replace our impassioned pleas that others might know and love him like we do. As Paul says in Romans 10, he says this, how then will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? People come to faith through the preaching of the word of God, being told, shared, understanding who he is and the beauty of what Jesus has done. Faith without works is a dead faith, but works without the word of God proclaimed is a deadly mask of actions without the love that people really need. It's, it's a band-aid instead of the heart surgeon savior that they really need to come to know and savor. I can tell some of you might be getting antsy, not just because you're children. You might be sitting here going, well, he's, he spent a lot of time this morning, but when's he going to get to the global outreach aspect of witnessing? Right? That's, what, that's what I think about when I hear witnessing. He's three quarters of the way done. He's barely talked about evangelism or the rest of the world. You might feel like so much of what I've described so far is really what you would just kind of lump in the bucket of discipleship. This idea of what you do with other believers and how we engage with one another. I mean, make no mistake, I love where Jesus goes in Acts 1.8 that we didn't read the whole thing. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That is a beautiful picture of the scope of what God is calling his people to. Remember, for them, Jerusalem was their local place. And he was telling them to start with where he had them and then to work out to the very ends of the earth. For us, it'd be like him saying, listen, I have a desire for you to witness me to Boise, to all of Idaho, even to go to California like those Samaritans. I know some of you feel that way. It's just a joke for me, but I understand we need to think about that. And then all the way to places like Cameroon. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. There's so many different ways to understand that verse. Much has been written about it, but what we love is the beauty that God is about bringing his people to himself. And he is going to ensure that all of them, every single son and daughter, are brought in. And he is asking us to be a part of that. A part of that through our witnessing to them, to one another, that all of our brothers and sisters might be brought in to this very people of God. To do that, we undoubtedly have to keep global outreach in front of us. We all know that the statement, out of sight, out of mind, is very true. It happens daily for each of us. So we need to keep this reality that there are people in this world who do not know the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ in front of us again and again. We want to remember that God has called us outside of our gathering, outside of this group of people that we know, both outside to Boise, but outside all the way to places like Burma. But I think it's worth noticing something that a friend of mine wrote. Darren Carlson wrote this in a recent article. He says, with all the emphasis on people groups over the last 50 years, however, we've made a course correction at the expense of mission. Specifically, the focus hasn't been on making disciples of all nations, evangelizing, baptizing, teaching, establishing churches, training leaders, but instead on finishing finishing the, the task. For example, getting the gospel to every last people group. 
Matthew 28 has been usurped by Matthew 24. Now, to be clear, my friend Darren loves, loves the nations. In fact, he's the president and founder of, of a missions organization called Training Leaders International. They're in 25 different countries. In fact, in most of the poorest parts of those countries, trying to train pastors and church leaders who've never had a chance to have Bible education in their life. I've had the privilege of going with, with their group to Ethiopia multiple times and love the work that they're doing. But what Darren is noticing and what others have noticed is that inside the, the illness, the weakness that we have inside of our American church it is not only being exported to churches outside of our country, but even to our mentality of how we do that exporting, how we even do missions and global outreach itself. Here's what Darren says. And the result, material and personnel resources have been redirected out of areas no longer deemed strategic. Reached nations have been abandoned along with their seminaries. The hard and messy work of raising up competent leaders has fallen to the wayside. Missions research now centers around identifying and categorizing groups of people. Missions reporting now emphasizes evangelism and our methods focus on speed. An approach of rapid church multiplication has advanced, dominating Western mission practice and diluting the global church. The crux of this statement is in this phrase right here. The hard and messy work has fallen to the wayside. Maybe you've noticed that is a tendency about our church as well, and the American church in particular. We don't want to do the hard and the messy work. The work that can take six months, a year, many years of being in relationship with one another till you begin to see even in the sprig of hope of change in an area of your life that you're just begging for God to begin to change in you. I mean, we are so excited about people coming to our services, building bigger buildings, making sure we have more programs so it looks like we're doing a lot of hard work with actually do, without actually doing the hard work. <coughs> I'm going to let Darren finish this thought. He says, the Great Commission isn't fulfilled and our task isn't finished when we've identified every single ethno-linguistic people group and merely exposed them to the gospel. We are called to more. Jesus sends us to make disciples of Pontata Ethne, all the peoples, teaching them to obey everything he commanded. That statement is true both in Boise and in Botswana. The hard work is the day-to-day witnessing that we all need. And it isn't finished by just an immediate exposure to the gospel and then moving on to someone else. We need witnessing that happens in our gatherings, that happens as we worship God together in our small groups, one-on-one and all together corporately. We need the constant gathering of edification for edification. This project of making disciples, taking our role in God's stories as priestly ambassadors is hard work, but it is the hard work that God has called us to, the hard and good work. It's like Joy said this morning, Normal people are the ones that are being sent by groups like Frontiers and Wycliffe and the IMB. These are people, brothers and sisters, who are sent off to meet and engage others because they're exactly what the rest of the world needs, just like what you and I need, witnessing. People who want to walk with them daily that they all might be encouraged in their discipleship or to discipleship. People who will do the hard things of life together. That may mean we as a church might need to focus less on the breadth of what we're doing and more on the depth of what we're doing. 
I mean, imagine if more churches spent more time focusing on the depth of, of witnessing and discipleship that occurs within their churches and then picked several strategic areas to pour in in that same mentality of deep discipleship with others globally that the multiplication efforts to the glory of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ might take real root, established and grown in healthy and mature ways. And that's why my explanation of witnessing this morning might sound a little bit more like just how you would think of discipleship that you've always known. In fact, what do we have to offer to our friends and brothers and sisters in other countries if we don't do it with each other? Granted, God uses broken pots. He sends us when we don't realize it to places and for reasons that we still need to grow into and learn about, but that should not be because of the lack of trying. (laughs) the lack of of working on witnessing and discipleship within our body before we go abroad and try to do it in another culture. And to the degree that your heart uh, beats to bear witness to our brothers and sisters in another part of our great world, it should also beat to witness and sit together with one of your brothers and sisters right here in this family. That's where our application starts this morning. Witness to one another. Start here. This is both our first mission as our local brothers and sisters sit right next to us, and it also is our training ground to build us into those and equip us that we might go even further out. I pray as you use your gifts here in this body that you find it is a gracious and merciful place to try, to fail, to do your best that you can, and find in that process you are being edified, others are being edified, and we are all being grown to be more and more like Jesus Christ. But I also pray that we find that it is the starting place for us, that that it's where we can begin to train good evangelists and missionaries. Going to another people group is definitely more difficult than being here. You have to overcome different cultures and languages, even locale, getting there. But it's never less than the witnessing you need to do with one another. The skill sets that we learn in caring well for one another as we point each other to the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ is the same skill that we need to have when we need to translate it in our mind and run it through a different cultural lens for another group of people somewhere else. I'd venture to say that many of us panic at this idea of engaging in evangelism locally or internationally because we don't spend the time to practice the muscle here with others around us. Uh, We don't go out to coffee with a a friend, a brother or sister here to encourage and equip them, let alone sit down with with a co-worker and explain to them the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ and what that looks like. We don't know how to lovingly come aside one another, so we don't often know how to even begin to look for what caring for another in a whole different situation and culture would look like. On the other hand, though, I think some of us romanticize the idea of going abroad, of going to a foreign place so that we don't have to think about and begin the hard work of relating to one another here. And in doing so, we actually work against that dream of going because the muscle that we need to exercise here is the same muscle that would work to help us exercise it in that arena over there. My hope is as you find your desire to witness, to be a part of this disciple encouraging and growing process with one another here, that your heart would begin to yearn that others, others much different than yourself in other places would come to enjoy the same beauty 
that you'd want to engage them. And if you begin to feel that welling up within your own soul, I want to give you one great encouragement. God has brought the nations to us. What an incredible time we live in. Boise, Idaho is actually designated as a refugee resettlement community by the U.S. State Department. They literally fly people from other countries here to live. So if you're beginning to feel that well up in you, look around. We have a world-class university with people coming from other countries here. We have major tech companies who are bringing people from other parts of this world to sit in cubicles near you. We have opportunities through so many different ministries we'd love to connect you with. If you have a heart that's beginning to say, how do I think about these people much different than me, from different cultures, different backgrounds and ways, you can start right here. And if your heart still longs for the culture of another people in another location, the encouragement is go. Go and let us help you. Go because you are excited to share the knowledge of the gospel of Jesus Christ that more might hear and know the good news of their salvation by a God who's done it all for them. Yet don't just go to share it and move on. Go loving that the natural outworking of this gospel knowledge that we've been talking about works the same here as it would work there that it should lead to worship, it should lead to gathering, and it should lead to more witnessing both amongst each other and out and abroad from there. Go wanting to see healthy Christians and churches built, ambassadors trained, and priests rightly worshiping to their God and King. Go knowing that God has called you simply to go walk a life with other people, to be the same type of person you are here, just in a different place, maybe less comfortable for you and may, hopefully much less resourced than here, that you might make a difference for them, that you might encourage them, witness the glory of God and demonstrate through his multifaceted people, his diversity through and for unity. Witnessing is making disciples of Jesus Christ through gospel-centered going, baptizing, and teaching. God gathers us for exaltation, edification, and evangelism. And worship is our response in attention, affections, and actions that rightly know, treasure, and joy, and are satisfied in God through Jesus Christ. Those three actions that all, those three aspects that all grow out of our love and faith for Jesus Christ are three main indicators of healthy Christians and healthy churches. And they work together to reinforce one another that we might be complete people in actions and words, living our life to the glory of God. They're meant to create unity in our life and to stir up our affections to one another. I mean, today as we come to communion, I pray that we can use it as one of those witnessing moments that we, in taking it together, can witness to one another the foundation of our faith that our faith is founded solely in the work of Jesus Christ, his body broken for us, his blood shed for us on the cross, that we might walk in right relationship with our God again. Would you come to it that way today? If you already have faith in Jesus Christ, would you come and, and, and approach communion that way? If you don't have faith in Jesus, if you haven't put your faith and trust in him yet, I would encourage you, don't, don't take the communion. Rather, approach him today. See him as this God who's loved and cared for you beautifully through the very work of Jesus Christ, that you might draw close to him in faith through what he's done for you in his life for yours. Would you pray with me? Lord God, thank you for all the ways that you work. Father, thank you that you are a God who has done all for us in Jesus Christ. And Lord God, thank you that, that in your changing of us, in your changing of our hearts, of our minds, of our, of our very being, that, that we begin to have an affection 
for you, a love for your very being. Lord God, would it well up in us and bring about worship? Would it, would it cause us to desire to gather with one another? And Lord God, would we witness well to one another that each might be encouraged and edified, brought further and further into conformity as one of your disciples, bearing your very image as your ambassadors? Lord God, thank you for <coughs> the joy of giving us a role in this whole process. And thank you for your grace to walk alongside us and empower us in that. Lord, would we do it to, to your glory? It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.